Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. And so got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein, and this episode, as always, is brought to you by Bet Online. Go check out Bet Online. Use the welcome code BLUEWIRE and get a free welcome bonus. Go check them out. They've got a little bit of everything as far as what you can bet on, including UFC 249 last night. Well, I guess right now it would be Saturday night into Sunday morning. I'm recording this on Sunday morning. And before we get into some Lions stuff, just what a great card that was. The main event fight between Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. If you didn't watch it, try and go find it. That was one of the better fights I've seen in a while Justin Gaethje might be an upcoming star in this sport, and he could fight Khabib next in what would be a mega fight. So I know there's a Lions podcast. Just wanted to mention that really quick is we had some live sports back, and even though there were not fans there, it, it kind of gave a little bit of a primer, I think, to what sports could look like the rest of 2020. And it, listen, it was different to watch, and you saw that really from the start of the show where... You had guys walk out and some were pretending to slap fans or throw things into the crowd that didn't exist. So they were trying to at least keep their mental process of going into the cage the same. But it definitely was a little bit different. You missed the reaction. You missed the oohs and the ahs in the big moments. But obviously fighting is a little bit different than football when it comes to the atmosphere inside an arena I've always felt like that from when I've covered both UFC and boxing to when I've covered football and maybe it's because I'm in an enclosed press box for football where more often than not at least whereas for UFC and for boxing you're pretty close to the action so you can you can feel that electricity a little bit more but it's still the same of that when there's a big time fight which there was you know which there was on Saturday night in UFC that that crowd is still it adds something to it and you've seen that in big NFL games I know I've felt that even though I said I don't feel the crowd as much I've definitely felt that for Sunday night football games for Monday night football games for playoff games so it's going to be something to watch I think And that was one thing while I was watching UFC that I took away for the NFL was, what is this really like without fans? And I watched the last UFC card, which also didn't have fans in Brazil. But at that point, it was just so jarring and so shocking because that was really the first time we had seen sports without fans on any real capacity for a long time. And now just to have live sports back and also see it without fans, it came from a different lens but it was equally jarring, and I'm curious whether you saw that too and what you thought about it. And It will be interesting to watch going forward as more sports start to come back, what that really looks like without fans. And, and I'm very curious to see how this goes with the NFL. We'll see what happens. Obviously, since the last show, the schedule came out. We had an entire podcast about the schedule. So go back and listen to that if you missed that show on Friday. In short, I think the Lions right now maybe an 8-8 team. A lot of toss-up games for the Lions, probably about five of them. The game that stands out to me the most is the Week 16 game against Tampa where Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn could be general managing and coaching for their jobs against Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, two of the guys without whom they probably wouldn't have the jobs they have now. So... That, to me, is a very, very interesting, intriguing matchup. Plus, Matt Patricia and Tom Brady are close. They were close back when they were in New England. So that's another reunion that you didn't necessarily think was going to happen again. 
on a field with guys in their current roles, at least when Brady was in New England, except maybe during the preseason. So that's the big news that really popped up over the last few days when it comes to the Lions. And we'll just get right to it with our guest today. You might have seen I wrote a story on ESPN.com on Saturday about the television show Ozark. It's a hit show. It's really taken off during the pandemic as one of Netflix's biggest hits. And if you notice, in season two and season three, there were very short lines in two episodes about the Detroit Lions, which to me was a little bit odd because the show's not set in Detroit. It's set in the Ozarks. So I went out to try and figure out how that exactly happened, and I discovered it by finding the man who wrote one of those episodes, writer Ryan Farley. He's a Metro Detroit native. He's from Warren, Michigan originally, and he is a diehard Lions fan. So we talk a lot on this podcast both about Ozark and how that happened and what that experience was like. You can check out my story on ESPN.com as well. And then we get into the Lions, his Lions fandom. We get into where the Lions are now. It's a little bit of a different podcast than we typically have because Obviously, most guests we have are former players or current players or have worked in some capacity for the Lions. Ryan Farley is a fan, one of the biggest fans I think I've encountered. And the conversation we have has a different perspective, more of a reporter and a fan chatting, going back and forth about certain things. So hopefully you enjoy that. And that's coming up right after this break. And before we get in the break, as always, just want to definitely mention A2 Neighbors, as we've talked about for about the last few weeks on this show. If you have any chance to give, if you have any money that you can give, check out A2 Neighbors. What they're doing is they are giving, taking money and they are giving it to local restaurants who then go and feed frontline workers here in the Washtenaw County area in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's A2 Neighbors dot giving com backslash COVID-19. Go check them out. They're at A2 Neighbors on Twitter if you would be so inclined. And we'll be right back with Ryan Farley right after this break. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack. They're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day. It's all online. Go to betonline.ag. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. And guys, are, are you looking to last longer? Go a few extra rounds and I'm, I'm not talking about in the cage or, or in the ring. Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. And now... Back to our show. My guest on today's Michael Rothstein show is a veteran writer out in Hollywood. If you've watched the show Ozark, you might have seen a couple of the Detroit Lions references in there. He is the inspiration for one and the reason for the other. He is Ryan Farley. Ryan, welcome to the Michael Rothstein show. Hey, thanks, Michael. It's really good to be here. How are you doing? I'm good. So obviously, part of the reason that you're on this is uh, on Saturday, I had a story run on ESPN.com about the Lions and the weird connection they have with the Netflix show Ozark. You are responsible for that. Why don't you just walk people through how that actually came 
to be and how you ended up forcing the Lions into Ozark? <laughs> well, I've worked on other shows where I've had, you know, lines that referenced the Lions. And like I worked on this AMC show called Low Winter Sun that was set in Detroit. So I had some characters discuss Lions stuff in that show. And then when I came over to Ozark, um, I was working on this episode where the character Buddy, who was from Detroit, was was dying. And every time I work on stuff, I mostly just write in my notebooks. I think I was telling you about this, Michael. Like I basically just write scripts in my notebooks, and then I'll you know type them up. And uh, you know, as they're talking about this thing, I'm just writing this scene between Marty and and Buddy, which was very based on you know actual events in my life as far as that scene goes. And I just sort of like had Maria ask him what it was like. And then, you know, I don't know if I thought about before or in the moment, I have no idea. And I just had Buddy be like, it's like watching the Detroit Lions suck. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, when it was in my notebook, I had no idea if it was gonna either like make it to the final script or make it to shooting or anything. Cause you just get so many notes from so many people at times. And this script kind of just sailed through. Like nobody, my boss really is awesome. Chris Mundy's the showrunner over there. And, you know, I wrote on it season one and two. And, and he's great. And he knows what a diehard Lions fan I am. I grew up in Warren, Michigan. You know, my dad was a fire marshal there for, for some time. And, you know, he got sick with ALS. Um, but we would just watch Lions games together all the time. And so you know, I was just, it was just ingrained in me. And so then when I came out here, it's really, I'm like such a diehard, you know, and I just follow them so religiously and they just like bust my balls so much like everybody else. And uh, I just put it in and my boss thought it was funny. He liked it. And then I wasn't even on set when we shot it. And one of the other people that was on set texted me. It's like, we just shot that scene. And then it made it through the cut. And then it made it to Netflix and, and other people were texting me about it. And then it was like a meme some friends were sending it to me as a meme. And then I think Sean Windsor wrote a piece about it and I was on vacation with my wife and I read the piece that Sean Windsor wrote. And I was like, it was like, it was like Christmas, man. I was like so excited. And then, uh, and then it just has gotten sort of attention since then. And then my buddy Martine, who, who's still working on the show, wrote an episode this season where he put in another line about the Lions. And he may, I'm not sure, I don't want to say for sure, he may try to slip something in in season four too, but I don't want to promise anything. We'll, 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 we'll see how it goes. So when you write this, do you realize like, you might get blowback because there is a certain portion of the fan base that probably was pissed off that the lions were getting, you know, dragged a little bit in the, in the episode, even though there's another portion of the fan base. Like, I, like you said, like, I know you feel, yes, this is exactly what it's like to be a lions fan. Like, were you worried at all when you do that? Or are you just like, screw it. I'm like, like I'm yeah, I'm not, I am not worried at all if anyone is, is upset by that um, because they just need to stop sucking and just be a better organization. Whatever the issues are, whether it's ownership, management, player, whatever it is, it's just like it's been so – I mean, they've never been to a Super Bowl, so I don't, I don't give them much uh, cushion as far as that goes. If I performed how they performed, I wouldn't have a career. And neither would you, Michael. If we performed how we performed on the field, we would not have careers right now. So, and that's really harsh and I get it. But at the same time, it's like, uh, I have high expectations, you know? I have high expectations of myself and I have high expectations of my teams that I root for. So, you know, obviously I can never do what any of those guys do. So, you know, I'm talking out my ass with a lot of it, but... At the same time, no, I, I don't feel bad. I think some people get offended when they think it's piling on because they think that, you know, it's people not from the area. They think it's someone who doesn't have knowledge of the team. They're just piling on. But it's like, no, I, you know, I had season tickets when Barry Sanders played. 
You know, I've been there. I was at the 93 playoff game when Brett Favre peeped at 50 yards and Scott fell down and Sterling Sharp's like, hey, I'm over here. I was in the seats right above him. So it's just like I've been there, you know, the playoff game, Philadelphia, when they got blown out after the guarantee. Like, I know the legacy. I know the history of it. So I think once people realize that, no one cares. And plus, no one sees my face. I mean, they do a little more now, I guess, but no one knows like what they see written by. They don't know who I am. And I'm not on social media. So they really, you know, um, but no, I usually, it usually doesn't bother me. And if they, and if they don't want people piling on, they just need to stop sucking. <laughs> what would it be like if they did stop sucking? I mean, because you've been a lifelong Lions fan, you grew up in the area, obviously you're, you know, you're in LA now. But what would it be like if the Lions consistently stopped being a mediocre team? It would be the most amazing thing. I mean, they, none of those players would ever pay for another meal, for a tank of gas, for, you know, people would give them free houses and cars. Like, it's such a football town. And, all the, and yes, it's a big sports town regardless, and we're excited, you know, when the Tigers and Pistons, but – it's just honestly a lot a lions even going to the super bowl would just trump all of it it's it's such a football town and i think uh i think everyone would just be off their backs immediately if they just won one i mean at least for a short time period you know but um you know it's like they're you know detroit we stick up for our own it's like especially when you're good we stick up for our own like the bad boys like the rest of the country could have hated the bad boys we love the bad boys you know i love the bad boys we love the bad boys we'll stick up for the bad boys it doesn't matter what shit isaiah takes we're gonna hug him you know if he walks in a room we're gonna be like you're the best and that's just how we are so if the lions ever were competent as an organization or did better on the field we would just embrace them so much. Um, you know, we're fanatics, like all fans, we're fanatics, you know. But I think when I talk to – every time I say, you know, who's your team, uh, Detroit Lions, and they're just like, man, I'm sorry. You know, people get it. People get it. It's just like Cleveland. It's the same thing, you know. People get it. What's that like out in L.A.? Um, you know, there's a lot of Lions fans out here. There's a lot of people from Michigan in the industry. There's a lot of Lions fans out here. And, uh, you know, we just sort of get it. It just is what it is. You know, when I first moved out here, I would go to this, you know, Barney's Beanery in Santa Monica um, or on Santa Monica in Hollywood, I mean. And there'd always be Lions fans there watching the games at 10 in the morning you know and anytime I go to road games there's a big contingent of Lions fans we travel well they have a way more loyal following and the biggest thing I get is fans are home fans are surprised they're like man you guys really travel for being as horrifically horrible as you have been for so long it's really impressive and yeah it, it, you know there's a lot of people like me there's a lot of saps who will be like yeah, I'll go watch them, you know. Um, and I just think if they were just just competently run where it, every everything just changed, I mean, they'd sell out their games for, like, the Palace, how they sold out, like, however many straight games for so many years. <clears throat> That's what it would be like at Ford Field. And it would be loud. It'd be one of the loudest buildings in the league. And it's really. It really is disheartening when you just, because of how they've been run for so many decades, that just players don't want to come here. And that, and that gets really disheartening because once you're, once you're there, and maybe it's just because I grew up there, I'm biased, but there, I, you know, I love being from there. I love being from that area. Um, you know, and when I go home, I love, you know, seeing all the people who I grew up with in that area. Um, you know, but it's just got such a stigma. It's a little sad, actually. <laughs> <laughs> when you're so you go, 
I know this because we've talked before we talked for the story that ran on Saturday, but like you go to a lot of Lions road games. Like how many have you been to and what's that like? And how did you kind of start doing that? Did that more happen when you moved out to LA or what? Yeah, that didn't, ha- that didn't happen until I was, you know, steadily working and able to afford it. Cause that's something I'm very, like, I'm very grateful to be able to do that. And I understand that that's something a lot of people aren't, you know, able to do. Um, I've probably been to half the road stadiums in the NFL. Probably. I want to try to hit them all, you know, before like this season, the only road ones I haven't been to are Atlanta and Chicago. And cause I always put off Chicago cause they play them every year. So I'll get to Chicago eventually, but I'm, you know, already planning to go to Atlanta, the Atlanta game if we can, like if, if we're even allowed to, to do that. So I'll probably go to, they, I go to more road games than home games. And some of that is I just don't want to give money to the Ford family at this <laughs> point, you know, and some of it is it's just I didn't afford field a lot before. And so I've seen it and I really like getting, I really like getting to the new stadiums. I really like just seeing like the other fans and the atmosphere. And, you know, we went to Denver last year and we went to Arizona last year. And I mean, I've been to Arizona before, but Denver stadium is awesome. Yeah. Oh, that place. Yeah. That was amazing. It's amazing. It's just a beautiful stadium. And I mean, it was warm that day. Were you there? Yeah, oh, yeah, I was there. Yeah, I know the view of the Rockies for I don't know where you were seated. But like from the press box, you can see like the Rocky Mountains. And you're just I mean, that game didn't matter for the Lions. It didn't matter for the Broncos. Like there were times I just kind of got caught like staring for a moment out at like the Rockies. And I was like, wow, I could be like hiking. up there." <laughs> such a and like the people were super nice i mean we're not a rival with the broncos you know the people were super nice and it was warm and the stadium was beautiful and the lions had a lead and blew it and y'all knew that was gonna happen it was great it was great and then but probably the best one i've been to is minnesota they they've got something great over there you know and the that fans amazing amazing and the fans are just so awesome and it made, like if I wasn't a Lions fan and I didn't have a team, I'd be a Vikings fan just from going to that stadium and experiencing, you know, and that was the game when they sacked Stafford 10 times and he tried to throw it to carry on. And it, that's when my wife and I left when he tried to just toss it to carry on and carry on dropped it. And then they picked it up and ran it for a touchdown. That, that was our cue to, to exit stage left. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's probably the best one we've been to. I, I like that one more than Dallas. Uh, you know, obviously I'm very being in LA, I'm very much looking forward to SoFi and, and going out to Vegas whenever I mean the Lions aren't gonna play in Vegas for like seven years, but when they do, you know, I'll definitely go to that. Whenever they play the Rams, you know, I'll definitely go to that. Um yeah, it's just it's just uh, it's just something we we enjoy doing, and it gives us an excuse to go to another city and you know take in the nightlife and go out go out to eat, and we really enjoy it. Well, that's the thing I like about Minnesota. Not to go you know brag on Minnesota Stadium, but you stay downtown, or or even if you stay by the mall, you can jump on the light rail. It literally drops you off right there. But downtown, everything's walking, even if it's like freezing cold out and i've covered games there where it's the last game of the year and you're just like this is awful it's like negative 10 yeah you can still walk because it's like four blocks from like the marriott city center it's great that's where we were staying right in that area yeah and oh yeah it was like a four block we didn't it was freezing we actually did take the rail even four blocks because it was freezing but it just drops you off it's right in the city and i think atlanta's the same a little bit the same way um yeah, and it was just such a beautiful stadium, and everything was so accessible and so easy. I know, this is going to turn into, like, just talking. Like, the Vikings are going to use this as a promotion. Just a- <laughs> they are. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great. Well, so, I mean, when you, cho- when you look at the schedule each year, or maybe even when you look at the teams, because does it matter for you when the games are? Because being a writer, as a writer myself, but being a writer, there's some sort of flexibility there as far as travel goes. Like when you look at a schedule, do you say, okay, I want to go to this game and this road game and this road game, 
in December or January when it's when it gets finalized, or do you wait till the schedule comes out like it did the other day? You know, it totally depends. It's all it's all in flux. It depends if I'm not working on a show at that time, if I'm on a deadline, if I'm on set, if I'm on, you know, where I'm at. And the you know, I went up when I was working on Ozark. We would shoot in Atlanta, and that's the year. You know, on Saturday I flew up to Green Bay for the Green Bay game and was able to get down Sunday night to be back at work on Monday. So if I was still in LA, I probably wouldn't have done that because it was, you know, kind of a much further flight than just popping up from Atlanta. So it totally depends on just where I'm at. But I don't think because, especially because of everything that's going on and just I'm starting to work on more of my own stuff now than on other shows, which I'm, I'm excited about. And so I'm probably going to be home a lot more. So I'll probably have that freedom to be able to say, hey. And then sometimes my wife and I will just be like, hey, you want to go to the game? And we'll just go. You know, we don't have kids. <laughs> and so <laughs> you can do that. Yeah, so there's an added benefit there of not having kids. Yeah, we'll grab some tickets on StubHub or whatever and, and just – you know, just, just go and just say, Hey, do it. So some of it's just kind of on a whim, um, depending on, on what's going on. And this year it was because, you know, Atlanta is really the only one that I targeted and said, Hey, let's go, you know, but if the Chicago game is going to be a good game and we can go and like fans can go and all this is, you know, we'll go to that one too. Um, but Chicago is like the last, you know, they're every year. So. Yeah. So, when you because I've t other people I've talked to over the years who are Lions fans who live out in Hollywood like I've talked to Keegan Michael Key about stuff I talked to Sam Richardson about stuff Larry Joe Campbell like some of them have said that when they move out to LA it's changed their fandom a little bit and regular people I know too when they move away it's changed their fandom a little bit did it change it for you at all or did you kind of still stay the same level of like intensity exactly the same hasn't hasn't changed it at all I just, I mean, I, I live in, I just, football's my favorite sport. So, and I, you know, if the Pistons are good, I'm, I'm in. If the Red Wings are good, I'm in. But it's like, I'll watch football. I'll watch, I'd rather watch preseason football than postseason baseball. That's how, <laughs> I know how much of a football nerd I am. So, you know, and that's just how I am. So I'll watch it. And then since they're, obviously I, you know, but this last year, once they really shit the bed, I just started watching Sunday Ticket. So when I'd see them, like, fuck up, they'd show the highlights on Sunday Ticket, and I'd see it then, you know. But I just started watching Sunday Ticket. Um, Is that the but, first time you stopped watching them, like, religiously? It, that Yeah, this year was the only year when I was like, no, I'm just watching the ticket. I think it was after – I think it might have been after the Minnesota game. I forget when, but I remember it was for the Raiders game. I just kept on the Sunday ticket. And they showed a lot of them because they were the afternoon game and there wasn't a lot of games going on. But I was like, I am not – and I'm probably going to do that this year. Like, I am not watching them until they're over 500 again. Like, I am not religiously watching them, like, start to finish a game until they're over 500. I'm just going to watch the ticket because they're not – it's not worth it it's not worth it to get emotionally invested. <laughs> so, I got, so that first game of the year can be big for you because if they go 1-0, and then you can watch them. Watch the second game. Right. So you won't watch the opener then? No, I'll watch the opener. Okay. Watch the opener, I think. If they don't beat the Bears in Ford Field, it's going to be a long year. I'm just going <laughs> to say that. It's going to be year I mean that's good I I honestly don't think they're gonna do very well this year and that's just it has nothing to do with Stafford it I just you know has everything to do with I don't trust Patricia to fix the defense and they didn't I Okuda I think is going to be very good but I don't think they'll be better this year without Slay and so they didn't improve their secondary I don't think they really improved their pass rush why why is it going to be better why would i and why would i trust patricia to fix it i picked them to win nine games last year and they won three 
So maybe they'll win 10. I'm picking them to like win four or five and they might win 10. So I'm hoping that it's just reversed. You know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm totally wrong. Like I was last year. No, I bet. Well, so usually I will pick them around this time of year because I have to for ESPN and I'll, I almost will always pick eight and eight, like almost always. And then I always usually pick around eight and eight or seven and nine when I have to make predictions in August. I went on a limb last year and said they'd be 10 and six. Yeah. Well, that was horribly wrong. So I, what, I, what do I do uh, on Friday or Thursday night? Whatever, I pick them to be 8-8 eight and eight again. But realistically, I look at the schedule, and people are like, oh, it's a really difficult schedule. I don't necessarily think it is because I don't think Houston's particularly all that good. I, yeah. Phillip Rivers is, to me, it, I mean, you saw Phillip Rivers with the Chargers last year. You saw him a lot in L.A. He's yeah, he- not. Philip Rivers anymore. Uh, he is not. I can't believe the Colts spend that money on him, to be honest. I, that was one of the games I picked them to win was the Colts at home for that reason because of Philip Rivers. But I don't I, I don't think they're – I mean, Panthers aren't going to be very good, and I don't think they're going to go to Carolina and beat the Panthers. Yeah, and I think they will. Yeah, and so that's where – and it's, and it's not because they can't. It's not because they don't have the tools to do it. I think on offense, if Stafford stays healthy, and that's a big if because those, that's a serious injury, and Stafford's obviously a tough son of a bitch and plays through anything, you know, but that's a tough injury. And if he doesn't stay healthy, there's no way they're winning more than four games. But even if he does stay healthy, if that defense obviously doesn't make marked improvement, and I have no reason to believe it will, to go from 6-10 and 10 to 3-12-1, and 12 and 1, I have no trust that that coaching staff is going to fix that defense. And until that defense is fixed, you can't expect the offense to score over 30 points a game, which is what they'll probably need to do most games. And even the best offenses, unless you're Kansas City with Mahomes, who's, you know, he's going to be a Hall of Famer if he stays healthy. He's first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, I just don't see the offense scoring 30 to 35 points a game. And I think that's what you'd have to do with that porous defense. See, here's, here's what I'll, I'll argue with you a little bit on that, because I would say they wouldn't have, we all know they wouldn't have been three, 12 and one if Stafford hadn't gotten hurt. Yeah. I would. Hope they, they probably would have been honestly in the six and 10 range again. So that that's in my opinion, or six, nine and one or seven, eight and one, whatever. I see that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I look at it, I don't think their defense got a lot better. I think it got a little bit better. Um, but I think where the – and I've written this and I've said it from the rooftops. I think that where they actually are going to help themselves this year is that that acclimation period isn't going to be – and I think you and I have talked about this. Like that acclimation period with what they did in free agency with all the Patriots that they signed and people that are familiar with the system, they – whatever you're looking at, because it's clearly going to be – probably no spring of anything other than classroom work. So you're looking at the training camp and who knows whether it'll be a full one and who knows if there'll be preseason games or joint practices or whatever, they have that familiarity already. So that's why I think early in the season, they can maybe steal one or two that, you know, maybe they can go like, I picked them losing at Arizona because I think that that, that, that offense is going to be filthy, but that's a game that I think they can steal. Um, Maybe they can, steal a game at green bay although this feels like the aaron Rod- i feel like this is like an aaron Rodgers mvp year like being set up like with <laughs> he's on like a revenge tour with his coach i know <laughs> it's like a bizarre thing but yeah if they wanted to motivate aaron Rodgers, they did it so good on them in that sense i mean he doesn't really have anyone to pass to because his number two receiver is devin funches and that'll only be as long as devin funches stays healthy i know but um yeah i just i think they're often i think they're going to be way too dependent on the off i hope i'm wrong i hope you, that, I, I i think you're probably right by the way let's just get that out there i hope those patriots like because i i'm i used to always pick oh they're going to steal this one they're going to steal that one and the and they don't because it because they end up losing one they should have won or they end up losing two or three that they should win and so I can't count on there's no I can't count on them doing anything more than what you expect. Yeah. And because of that, I'm just like who who do I think they realistically can beat handily? 
And it's really the Bears at home, Jacksonville, Washington, and the Colts at home. And I can't really look to any other team on the schedule and say they can beat them handily. Yeah, they may. They should. They should if they play well. But I can't look to any other team on the schedule and say, oh, yeah, a W. Oh, for, oh, absolutely. There's like five or six toss-up games on that schedule, I think. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, they could be, and I hope, I hope they prove me wrong, but there was nothing. So then when I'm like, okay, there's no games where I'm like, oh, that's a definite W. And because that's not a definite W, there's nothing that Patricia has done to gain my trust to say, we're going to outcoach that team. We're going to outscheme that team. We're going to figure it out. Or Stafford's going to be healthy. Like, there's none of those sort of variables that I can point to because he just doesn't have the credibility yet. If he goes in and wins 11 games next year, miraculously, and they make the playoffs and win a playoff game, it will all be forgiven. <laughs> they will, you know, and Patricia will be carried around town, you know, he'll – He'll begin steak dinners and, you know, whatever. Like, but he, ha- he hasn't proven. He hasn't – he doesn't have that credibility. And it's – and also he doesn't have the credibility because of, you know, Belichick's assistants also haven't done well other than Bill O'Brien who's had moderate success. And also don't forget Bill O'Brien didn't become a head coach in the NFL right off the bat. He had the time at Penn yeah. State first. To, you know, I mean, yeah. because that's the two people that people – when they – when you bring up the Belichick tree, they say, oh, Bill O'Brien and oh, Mike Rabel. Well, Mike Rabel was a player and then went to Ohio State for a while. And there was a defense coordinator in Houston under Bill O'Brien. And Bill O'Brien had the time at Penn State, which mattered because you could get your – you also college to the NFL, those are two different beasts. I think if Bill O'Brien went right to the NFL, it would be bad. It would, have been, it would not have gone well. He had to adapt in college at, at a horrific situation at Penn State. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, the whole thing is, is super interesting to me with Matt Patricia. I, I still think he's actually a very good defensive mind. I just think that there's a lot as far as, like, the motivation of players and some of the other stuff that, that he really struggled with. Um, but I think as far as a defensive strategist goes, I don't think he's bad. You know it way – I mean, you're there. You're, you know, you see it. You're in it. You talk to you – know, like, you know it so much better than I do. Um, I hope – and I – I, you know, I believe you. I trust you. I just, the results, obviously. Oh, for sure. You know, it's just no credibility. Like, I can't be like, and it's things like the timeout and whether that was Bevel or Patricia, like, who cares? It doesn't matter. It cost us a game. You know, the coaching shouldn't, they're not always going to scheme to win you the game, but they shouldn't cost you the game at the same time. It shouldn't be like, when Schwartz threw the flag on Thanksgiving, it cost us that game. Or the fake field goal against Pittsburgh. My God, that was the most horrific thing ever. So funny yeah. story about that. I don't know if I've ever told this story before. Um, so obviously Sam Martin, you know, fake field goals, that goes horribly poorly. I'm actually walking with Burkett down to the locker room after the game. And I turn to Burkett and I'm like, dude, I don't think they're going to win again the whole year. I think they're done. I think that means Schwartz is done. Like, you know, you just like mistakes like that come back to bite you. And then obviously that's the, I ain't scared press conference that Schwartz had. So I had not, I usually was very good about like turning my phone on silent. I had not turned my phone on silent and you can hear it ring in the middle of the press conference and Schwartz gets super pissed. I'd like go out to like turn it off. But well, I haven't heard Schwartz was a very uh, cool and calm character. No, absolutely not. I, I, I mean, that was my first season covering the NFL. I really enjoyed covering him and, and that team because that team, there was always something with that team because you had, you had a lot of, on you had thousand-yard Reggie Bush, who Reggie was always good for something. You had Sue at the height of him being Sue, yep. with you know, with like stomps and beatdowns and a stomp game, <laughs> playoff game in Dallas when they picked up the flag. That yeah. was the road game I've been to where I was getting threatened by other fans because I was so irate over that call. But here's okay. the thing, though. All right, and, and and I know you have you and I have talked about this, but that play, like people focus so much on that play, and I get it. But at the same time, 
Don't have Sam Martin shank a punt 15 yards and don't have your worst defensive drive of the year. No question about it. But on that drive, I will say, and this is me being a fucking blind slappy, Sue was held twice that it wasn't called. And I was sitting right over that and saw it. And then I think the refs came out the next day and said, on the touchdown pass, they didn't call a holding call that should have been, been called. Doesn't excuse any, it doesn't excuse anything, but I'm talking about in the moment when I was watching it and that call happened. Because <laughs> I'm pretty subdued because I don't like to, I don't, I don't like to get into like arguments with road fans. It's, I just don't care. It's not worth it. So I'm, I'm actually fairly subdued. I really just enjoy watching and the experience. And that was one time when I was not, happy and like i had fans being like watch your back we're gonna kick your ass and that was like the one road game where it actually was like hostile after that specific play you mean fans in texas weren't completely and totally hospitable i'm shocked they weren't they weren't they were not they were not <laughs> and you know, i probably you know i get it like some guys like you guys are getting you know they're handing you the game and blah 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 i mean it's in school like i didn't like and no one was accosted or anything. It yeah. was just more of a, a hostile vibe. But, okay, so, like, going back to what we were talking about, when, when you know, I mean, you look at even Caldwell. Caldwell cost yes. the mistakes, too, because they could – remember, after in 15, they couldn't count to 11. I know. That just was – I actually had to listen to that. I was on vacation uh, with my wife, and I had to listen to that on, uh, on my phone. And I didn't even see it. Like, I heard it. And they're like, and they don't, you know, they've got too many people or whatever. And that cost and that cost them the game. And it's like, what are you? And it's just like, it just piles up. And it's not fair because other teams do the same stuff too. But it's because they just have had such limited success. It just keeps piling up, you know. And it's, and it's the catch rule or it's the bat out of the end zone or it's the you know or it's shorts throwing the flag or it's you know i've seen fans i remember what one of the games in the silver dome i saw a fan almost have a heart attack like i'm not exaggerating like his like his veins were bulging out his fate like he was like holding his chest like he was so upset like and that's just what they do to people that's just what they do to people and then so the one time i looked at a fan and i was like Oh my God! This guy's got to. This guy's got to calm down. He's gonna. He's gonna die right here, and that's what the Lions do to their fans. So, how did you become a Lions fan? <laughs> Barry and Barry Sanders. That's how you know. Because when I was, uh, my dad was always a Lions fan, and my dad was pretty good about being like, "Don't root for them because they're gonna break your heart." And uh, then it was around the time when I was like ten or eleven, anyway, when Barry got drafted. And he was, I mean, he was just that special, you know, he was just that special of a, um, just a transcend, transcendental player where you just watch it. He was just the most exciting player I've ever seen play. And so I started getting more into the games, you know, one, the games were never sold out until Barry started playing. Like they were always blacked out you know, except for the road games. And so you started, there was some actual excitement around the team with him. So you started seeing the games more. And then I think in his third year, they was when they won their last playoff game in, in 91. And so there was this trajectory. And so it was all just, it was kind of around him a lot. And then there became this tradition of sort of just watching every game with my dad who, like I said, he, he had ALS, and so he was, he was dying. He was sick, you know, and, and one of the things we would do is we would watch the Lions every Sunday, or if it was blacked out, we would listen to Champion and Brandstad or on, on the radio. And so it, it just became a very much like a father-son bonding thing, and we, you know, would watch every game and live and die by them. And he was very much how I am now with they're just awful. He was like that then. Um, I had more faith. I was a kid. And, uh, you know, but I remember the playoff game against Dallas. Even he was, like, really excited over that. You, no, know, was, you mean the 91? The the 91. 91. Yeah, the 91 playoff win. 
which was the best game in Lions franchise history. It's just really sad that you can just point to like one, like one singular moment and be like, that was a time we did good. <laughs> and then we got to remember the 1957 championship. Game? <laughs> I don't, my dad did. Really? Dad, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he would have been 10. He would have been 10 when that, uh, when that game was played. So, I mean, before the Super Bowl, obviously. Yeah. It's like, they haven't been good since the 50s. I wouldn't let Wayne Fonts walk my dog. <laughs> Wayne Fonts, this is another thing. This is my hottest take that people disagree with me all the time, but I stand by it. I, I think, and it goes to Bill Belichick, like the myth of Bill Belichick. Because do you know Belichick's record without Brady as a head coach? Oh, it's not very good. It's like 41 and 56. Yeah. His career record. And that's not a small sample size. That's like 100 games. Do you know Wayne Fonts' career record? I don't off the top of my head, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. It's a higher winning percentage than Bill Belichick without Tom Brady. <laughs> I buy it. I mean, that's one of the listen. That's one of the big questions of this season is insane. Yeah, I mean, right now the Patriots are going into the season with Jarrett Stidham as their starter. I'm sorry, I'm not exactly uh, thinking think, that's going to be great. I think you're going to see a very different, like, and that's the man. Trust me, I'm not saying Wayne Fonts is better than Bill Belichick. That is not what I'm saying. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is uh, just more the myth of Belichick of how his record without Brady is below 500 and kind of by a lot. And his record with him is six Super Bowls. <laughs> one of my, it's funny we're talking about Belichick now because to me, one of my little favorite nuggets of like Lions, random Lions history is like that both Belichick and Parcells, arguably two of the four or five best coaches ever, had – significant early ties to the Lions organization and they they just they love the Lions organization they speak I mean Bill Belichick speaks so highly of the Lions as an organization and yet they're the organ one of the organizations really they're the only organization that has not been to the Super Bowl that's not an expansion team or in the case of the Browns had an elongated break because I mean the Browns became the Ravens and the Ravens are one of the model franchises of the NFL the last decade they're so good, man. I do feel bad for Cleveland with that because they would have won all the same. Yes, they were but, so good. But we don't know whether they really would have. I mean. They had all the same management in place. You'd like sure. to think, you know, would have drafted generally the same players. And, you know, Ray Lewis, wasn't he in Cleveland that last year? And then Honestly, he went. I, don't, I thought he was the player that – I'm going to look this up now. I thought he was there. I mean, wrong but i thought he was like drafted which probably isn't true that's probably not true because that means belichick would have drafted him and i don't think belichick didn't draft them so that's probably wrong yeah he was drafted in 96 and the ravens were there already okay so yeah i think it might it might have been like right when they got there though yeah, i was very it was very quickly after because didn't they leave in like 93 well, maybe not. They might have left in 93. When did the Browns leave? They, they were, the Ravens got there in 96, so Ray Lewis was there first. They could have. Theoretically, they could have, yes. Yeah, yeah. So Belichick was fired. They left Cleveland. And so, okay, so then uh, was that – that must have been one of Ozzie Newsom's first picks then in Baltimore. Yeah, I believe it was one of them, yeah. It was – listen, they – the Ravens are great. <laughs> A really good franchise. They're a really well-run organization. So when you when you look at the Lions now, like how I mean, wh how do you view them? And I think we know this already from our conversation. But like how you know, like do, what's your like ritual to watch them? What's like you know, well, other than other than watching Sunday Ticket? Other than the Millen era, honestly, right now I'm as apathetic as I've been over this team. Other than the Millen era. So having said that, just because I'm a huge football fan, I still watched the draft. I still looked at the schedule. I'm still going to, you know, watch them their first game or at least have the Sunday ticket on. But it's really like they have to 
they have to be good or I'm not investing all that time. You know, I'll still watch football every Sunday. And so that's kind of where I'm at. And that really sucks that that's where it's at because I'm diehard and I just want them to be, I guess, I guess like Martha Ford, I just want them to be competitive. <laughs> I, if I, if I was the owner, it'd be very, everyone says if I was the Lions owner, it'd be very different. <laughs> so for those who don't know, and it kind of circles back to the top of the podcast a little bit. Beyond, you've mentioned the Lions before in other shows. You mentioned them in Low Winter Sun, but that was kind of a layup because the show was based in Detroit. But you also got them in an episode of Colgate's, which to me was... Scratch. That was well, my biggest. That was yeah. my biggest getting him in a cold case episode. But it was also, let's be honest, that line was amazing. <laughs> so you found it. I did find it. So I found, as I told you, because I texted you like when I was writing the story, because you said I wouldn't be able to find it. And you know, I, when someone tells me I can't find something, I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> so I found it and I watched the whole episode on like a small little, it was like this big on a computer screen that was like this big. Uh, and just so the episode is it's like about professional wrestling you should probably tell this instead of me and like but like it's because i knew the line was in there there were so many points where it could have been dropped in like, no. <laughs> it was probably not my like it was funny but i was that was like my third episode of tv i wrote ever and so i think i was just trying to be funny you know i don't know if i'd even put that in now because it's so like like a left turn, <laughs> like now they're now he's like making fun of the lions, you know. Um, I mean, he called the guy the Detroit Lions of Wrestling. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> because you know, I was as a kid, I was obsessed with WWF, WWE. Now, obviously, I was obsessed with it. That was like, and I think I really learned a lot of my dramatic skills through wrestling of like heroes and villains and like they had all these stories it was all stories you know even back then and you had you know there was such like a every match had like a three-act structure really <laughs> and how it plays out I think it really did teach me a lot about drama um and so you know cold case was a case of the week murder show where they'd interview people and you'd see flashbacks to the era so it was about wrestling in the 80s and you know, a, a sort of like when it was just came out of like the territory thing and was starting to merge. And there was this heel who was sort of like the Saturday morning guy who gets beat up every week. And, you know, he's one of the suspects in the murder and the detective sits down with them and was like, yeah, so, you know, I heard you were the Detroit Lions of wrestling. And I, I don't even remember the guy's, the character's response, what I wrote, you know, I think he was just like, oh, I'd let people get over on me or whatever it was. But uh, yeah, that, that was the start of it. And then um, I, think in my, I think in my Justified episode, I made a University of Michigan reference, I think. At some point it was in there. And, uh, and then there was the Low Winter Sun and then there was the Ozark. And I mean, because Ozark is so popular, you know, that's where people you know remember it because just the show's popular so, so obviously now you're working on some of your own stuff is this going to like are you going to purposely set stuff in detroit to try and work lions references in? no um you know none of the stuff i'm doing none of the stuff i'm working on right now is set in detroit you know i'm develop i'm developing stuff I think one of the things I'm developing is set in DC and other things set in like Europe actually. And then another things, a couple of them are set in Europe and then another one's set in like Jersey. So yeah, there's nothing like, although I was, I was working on a possible adaptation of like a classic story and maybe I was, I'm setting that in Detroit if I ever finish it. Um, but yeah. And so it, it, it it just depends it just depends what the story is you know i like setting things there when i have the you know my script that i got my first script i wrote that i got you know hired on cold case off of and was about you know high school kids set in detroit it was a very like gritty sort of like kind of breaking bad in tone a little bit about these high school kids um outside detroit 
and that got me my first few jobs, you know, or at least my first, at least my first job. And so I, I go back to it a lot. I was going to say, it's a shame that you don't write comedy because you could try to weasel your way into Bob Hart's Abishola and like, that's in Detroit. <laughs> you can, it's a comedy. You could have fun with that every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's probably not my, that's probably not my, my shtick as much though. You know, no. it's like, I don't know. I'd be like, can they, you know, so who gets shot in the face in this scene? And they'll be like, Ryan, I don't think you get what we're trying to do here. <laughs> how, did you, how did you find yourself becoming a drama a, a drama writer or a, and a television writer in general um it was when it was around the time you know i i i did some playwriting and stuff and you know in the early 2000s to mid 2000s and that was around the time when like the sopranos and six feet under and deadwood and rescue me and, and these really seminal programs were being produced and for me it was really the what I loved about playwriting, it was it was characters and dialogue. Because if you didn't have good characters and dialogue, no one was going to watch your fucking play, right? Sorry, if, I don't know if I can curse or not. You're but, fine. I'll just throw the little E up there and that's uh, <laughs> Um And so with those hour dramas, those seminal shows, it was the, it was the best amalgam of film and television where you really... Um, got a great mixture of both. And those were just such great. So that's when I was like, I want to do that. Like, I want to do one hour drama. And then I went to USC in their film program and was really focusing on television one hour drama before everyone else was. You know, they didn't even have a, now everything's television. Everyone wants to be in television. It wasn't like that when back then. Everyone still wanted to do film. We had TV classes. But now at USC, there's a whole TV track where you can just try to just focus on television. It wasn't like that. But I knew I wanted to work in television. Um, and I had a professor whose friend who taught a woman at one point who was now running Cold Case. And so the script I wrote about the kids, you know, the kids in Warren, um, she read. And then they hired me as a researcher on that show. And so for the first season, I was like a researcher in the writer's room. And then they gave me a freelance episode, um, which was about pool hustlers in the 60s. And then I, I wrote that. And then uh, they hired me full time off of that. And so I worked two seasons on that show. Then I went to Justified. Um, and then I went to Low Winter Sun after that. And then uh, I worked with Peter Tolan on this show, Outsiders, this WGN show. And then uh, landed on Ozark because my boss on Low Winter Sun uh, was running Ozark. He was the showrunner on Ozark and, and we're friends. And he was like, hey, you want to come over here and be my number two over here? And I'm like, yeah, totally. Great. So I did that. and. You know, it's, uh, you know, that's about it. Uh, did you, now, you know, you mentioned USC, you went to Emerson College for undergrad. Did you want to do this when you went to, like, growing up and when you leave for, to go to Emerson? Because Emerson's a pretty good writing school as well, or did this kind of find you along the way? Um, you know, I wasn't sure. I, I went to Emerson for um, playwriting is what I focused on. And, uh, you know, and I also had a double major in theater education and like a history minor with the other with the playwriting as well. And I just, you know, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I sort of just knew I wanted to get through those those years of school. And then um, it was in that time when I was like, no, I want, I want to do one hour drama. I sort of had an idea but I didn't really know how to access it. I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles. I didn't know anyone in the business at all. And then I was like, well, how would I, how can I like take this opportunity at Emerson and like, and so then that's when I was like, I should really apply to grad schools. And then when I got into USC, it, it worked out great because obviously it's, it's here and it has to the industry but it also gave me time to just work on my stuff um, 
But man, it was expensive, man. I was in a lot of debt when I graduated. <laughs> Emerson and USC, that's like some pri- two major private schools. <laughs> I was much debt because I was all student loans, man. You know, it's, we weren't, you know, we, we weren't like poor, you know, but we weren't near the poverty line really. But once my dad got sick, we definitely weren't, um, you know, we definitely weren't swimming in dough either. So it was all student loans. and. You know, fortunately, I've been able to pay that off. Did you think about Michigan or Michigan State? Because that because when you went to college was right around the time when your dad got sick, right? No, no, he got sick. I took I took I took a lot of years off. Oh, actually, yeah, I went through fire academy. I was going to be a firefighter. Um, my dad was fire marshal, like I said. So for my whole life, I was going to be a firefighter. And I went through fire academy in '97, and it was awesome. I loved it. Um, and then that was right, right after my dad passed away, I went to fire academy and then I was going to EMT school and I hated it. So I dropped, and that would have been 90% of my job on the department I would have been working on. And so I, uh, dropped out. I started like, I drove around the country a couple times. I started working every odd job you can imagine. And I have an older brother, um, who's always been interested in film and television. And, and he was, when I was a kid growing up, he was the one who was like, was going to be in film and television. And so he really inspired me. And so I started taking acting classes at Macomb Community College and like doing some plays there. I don't even think they have a theater department there now. And, uh, and I, I was 23 years old and my professor at Macomb Community College, this great professor, Nancy Arnfeld, who I still talk to, she was like, what the fuck are you still doing in Detroit? Like, go, get, get out of here. Just, just leave. And so I was a 23-year-old freshman at Emerson. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And so I was, uh, I was a lot older than, I was like older than the seniors. And Emerson's a very young school. Like it's a very like ideological school as far as like, um, and I just like, I just came from a very different perspective, you know, having, having lost my father and dealing with some other stuff. I mean, everyone deals with stuff, but I had, I just had a little bit of a different perspective than, than some people there. Did, um, did your brother end up going into, film and acting or is he like an accountant now (laughs) oh actually is a theater manager so so he still does it and he still you know um i think he writes on the you know i think he you know he's still writing and stuff um but he doesn't like uh he doesn't like la like he really doesn't like la and so i don't think and it's he could do it he could totally do it he definitely has the skill to do it i just don't think he would move to la and fortunately right unfortunately right now and i think that's probably going to change soon as far as because now with this pandemic writers rooms are all zoom meetings yeah i think you're going to see that continue where you're going to have people all over the country they don't have to be in la Um, i think that's going to change writing I actually don't think it'll, it it won't change a whole lot, to be honest. Um, It just, again, it always depends who the showrunner is, if they have a clear idea for the show they're trying to do, and how they delegate that to their staff. You know, you can be in a room with five people, and if the boss doesn't know what they're doing, it doesn't matter if you're on Zoom or in the room. Whereas if you're on a Zoom meeting and can see everyone and your boss is like, we need to do this, this, and this, and you, you have a clear direction of where it's going, you, you'll be fine. Because usually when we all get to this point in our careers, we're very disciplined people. So we don't need, like, I wouldn't need to, you know, if I was running a show, I'd absolutely be in the office every day. But like, if I was just forced to do Zoom meetings, I wouldn't, you know, I'd be fine. You know, because you give yourself deadlines or you know what the deadlines are. And you just, you know this, you know, you got a deadline. You can't Every be time, like, <laughs> you can't be, you got way more deadlines than I do, dude. You can't be <laughs> like, I'm just not going to do that. 
You can, but then going back to what we were talking about before, uh, you would be out, you wouldn't have a job for all that long. Exactly. They'd be like, man, you're really, you're really, you know, lionizing your career here. And I'll be like, yeah, that's just what I do. I think that is the perfect point to end this podcast. <laughs> Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. I hope I hope it's useful at all. I hope you get anything out of it. Well, I want to thank Ryan for coming on the show. Hopefully you got something from that, both potentially from a writing perspective. If you're a potential writer or an aspiring writer listening to this podcast, you maybe learned a little bit about Ryan's process, also how he ended up getting to where he is in his career if you're looking at television writing. And then obviously we had a long chat about the Lions Hopefully, Ryan will come back on again. That's the plan to have him on at some point in the future. And very appreciative of him taking the time to chat as he works on a bunch of his own projects right now. Be curious to see what those end up looking like. Thanks, as always, to my sponsors for this show. Regents Field, Blue Wire, and BetOnline.ag. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And if you like what you heard today, go back, listen to some old episodes. And also, don't forget to give us a five-star review on Apple or just, more importantly, download and subscribe our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Heck, do it two places. Why not? Maybe go three. Whatever you want to do. All that does is help us in the future. And with that, we will chat with you again on Thursday.